Hey, it's Ian Altman. Before we dive into this week's episode, do me a favor and stop by and visit GiversEdge.com. There are only a few gifts I've received over the years that really stood out, and they were all sourced by the ruling group who you can find at GiversEdge.com. It's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm doing a little bit of a recap of my 2017 Forbes Trends article, and I've been proud and honored to be the number one search in Google for the last several years on business trends. And a lot of that has to do with my trends article on Forbes. And so a few concepts I want to share with you today that hopefully can help propel your business to dramatic success going forward. And obviously there are 10 trends that I talk about, but the first one I want to talk about is this idea of redefining sales and the emergence of the subject matter expert in a sales role. And the thing that I want you to recognize is that there are three different roles or personas when it comes to sales. So you have an order taker, a salesperson, and a subject matter expert. Now, the order taker is the person where the client just says, hey, look, I need 10 of these, 20 of those. How much is it and when can you deliver it? The salesperson is a person who believes their job is to sell whatever it is they their company offers to anybody who they can get to buy it. And the subject matter expert is the person who has enough expertise that the customer would be willing to pay to meet with that person if that's what it took to actually have a conversation with them. Now, the order taker will likely be replaced by Amazon if they haven't been already. Because if I can order 10 of this and 20 of that, know the price and delivery date, and in fact, in some cases, get it within hours from Amazon, you're going to have a tough time competing against that. And in fact, that's why one of the things I talk about is that brick and mortar stores that don't provide expertise are going to become obsolete because you don't have to go out of the, out of your house if something can be delivered within hours. So now that leaves us with a salesperson and the subject matter expert. Well, regardless of which one you think you are, which ones you have in your business, what you have to ask yourself is this. If you were the customer, who would you want to deal with? And the answer always is the subject matter expert. So if it's a subject matter expert and we know that's who the customer would rather work with, then if your competitors offer subject matter experts and you just offer salespeople, you're going to lose. So... What we need to do is actually recognize that the role of sales is shifting and expertise is becoming more and more valued. So if you are a young salesperson starting at your career, you want to make sure you're developing some level of expertise, whether it be industry expertise, a certain um, technology or certain application, a certain other specific focus, you can, you're considered having some expertise. If you're an organization that typically and historically has had traditional salespeople, your stereotypical, you know, smile and, and wave type of salespeople, you're going to need to evolve over time. Now, as you do that, what you'll see is that those subject matter experts will have high credibility, high integrity. However, they probably will not be very skilled at the follow-through and some of the details involved in the sales process. So what that means is that there's going to be a shift in businesses to experts who will actually be able to interface with the clients being supported by 
sales process and systems experts who can help guide those people through the steps. And there will be tools that will help manage that process. One of the tools we use internally is a tool called Contactually. And Contactually allows us to track progress and stay on top of details that we might otherwise overlook. So instead of your typical customer relationship management or CRM tool focusing on managing the pipeline and all those steps, instead it starts managing follow-through and follow-up and your level of interaction with potential clients. And that becomes extremely valuable. Now, if we're relying on subject matter experts, what we also have to recognize is how things have changed for buyers. And so if I ask somebody in sales to map out the sales process, they will often give me very specific steps. They'll say, well, we have an initial contact. Then we have a meeting. During that meeting, we determine if we have a good fit. Then we give them a proposal. We may have a negotiation. We eventually get a contract. And now we do the work. The problem, though, is that for your customer, they don't follow those steps. Your customer, every time they're interacting with you in between those steps, they're doing research on their own nowadays. So they might have initial contact with you in person, but they may have been searching and gathering information about you for weeks or months before they ever reached out to you in person. After you meet with them, they may do additional searches, and they may have questions about what are the risks associated with implementing whatever it is you're planning to implement for them. What's the risk associated with purchasing from you? What type of customer service do you provide? And here's what I want you to recognize. If you are not providing that information to your customer, then who is? It's probably your competitor, or at best, it's someone you don't know who is now influencing your client in a way that you can't otherwise. Now, before you jump out and start creating a whole bunch of self-serving blog posts, recognize this. It's critical that the way you interact with your clients online demonstrates complete integrity. And what I mean by that is you have to be honest and transparent. My friend Marcus Sheridan at thesaleslion.com talks to this point where he says, honest and transparent communication is the single best sales tool you can have. And I agree with them 100%. If you create that level of transparency, if you create amazing value for your customers addressing their issues, it works quite well. So I had a client recently, a potential client who talked to me and said, well, you know, given where we're at financially, I don't know that we can afford to use you. Now, I could share with them all sorts of ROI and results and show them how I've helped many of their companies like theirs double or triple in size. But actually, what I said to them was very different. I said, you know, you should never put yourself in a position where you're financially constrained so you can't make good strategic decisions. So if you can't afford to invest the money right now, you probably shouldn't. Now, I know that if they get through this period, I can help them dramatically. But it's actually not my goal to sell them something that's going to put them at a disadvantage. Instead, I want to make sure that I'm looking out for what's in their best interest, and they'll always come back to me in the end. And if not, they just weren't the right fit for me, and that's okay. A couple other points in the in the trends article that I want to touch on. One is this idea of the use of crowdfunding. And there are some examples that I cite in the article, but you can actually use crowdfunding to validate your product ideas. So for example, if you have a product idea, you can say, look, I'm going to put this up on Kickstarter, Indiegogo, at what is a great value, and I'm going to validate the market. Because guess what? 
if it's oversubscribed, you know that you're onto something. And if no one appears to care, then either your messaging isn't good or the product isn't good or both. And so this way, in the past, you would have to develop a product, go through a whole bunch of expenditure, take a lot of time to find out that the market didn't care. And now with crowdfunding, instead of thinking about how do I fund my product, instead what you want to think about is can you use crowdfunding to validate an idea? And by using crowdfunding intelligently, what it means is that all I have to do is build enough of the product that I can show people what it could be. And I get that validation. Now, someone might say, well, I could just do a focus group. The problem is this. The focus group people aren't actually spending their own money. The people in the Kickstarter are spending their own money, and it makes a huge difference if you can make that happen and if you can engage the people where they're actually spending their own money. Now, getting back to this idea of the subject matter experts, this also means that we have to focus, instead of being broad, on narrow. And what I mean by that is segmenting our list, segmenting our markets is one of the most valuable things you can do. Right now, for most organizations, if you have a list – the list has a, is segmented into one or maybe two groups. And I know in our business, we're certainly guilty of this. And so every time we send in a message, we have to think about, well, gee, this is a message that might apply to business owners. It could apply to sales leaders. It could apply to individual performers. could apply to people running small companies or big companies. We have to, and we have to come up with a message that appeals to everybody. But what if we could segment our list? What if we could ask our clients a few non-intrusive questions to find out who they are and then tailor the message specifically to them? So if you were, if you were someone who markets to professional services firms, guess what? The needs of a law firm versus accounting firm versus a government contractor are different. And if you knew which segment they were in, technology exists now so you can actually tailor the messaging specifically to that audience. And when you do that, now you can capture their attention. Now, remember, we don't just want to say, oh, here's this offering we have for law firms or accounting firms. Instead, what we want to do is say, here are the unique problems that we've been solving lately for accounting firms. Here are the unique problems we've been solving for law firms and so on. So that your message becomes hyper-targeted to the individuals who are really going to care about it. Now, why is that important? Well, one of the trends I point to is that there's going to be less and less of a dependence on email because tools like Slack and platforms that provide that sort of collaborative environment are going to make it so that people are spending less time in their email. Well, if they're spending less time in their email, what that means is that you got to really capture their attention with something meaningful to them or they're not going to give you the time of day. So just like right now, people have information overload in their email. If you combine that with their internal communication being outside of email, then they're actually still getting the same volume of email from outside, only they're not in their email as often. So you're in a much more competitive environment because they got to go through the same volume in less time because they're not looking for their internal communications as well. Because a lot of that will be using tools like Slack. The last thing I want to talk about is the notion of monthly recurring revenue versus single-shot projects. And for many businesses, you've seen this shift already. And the reason that's driving this is, is that businesses that are looking to exit are getting much higher valuations when they have 
monthly or annually recurring revenue as opposed to one-shot deals. So imagine if I'm buying a, a consulting company and the consulting company is doing $50 million a year in business. And of that $50 million, all of it is individual projects that may last one or two years and then they're on to something else. Well, what I'm really buying at that point is the goodwill that hopefully those people can continue to generate business at that level. I don't have any assurances that they will, but I'm hopeful they will. So if I had a business that was, let's say, doing $50 million, and let's say on that business, they were making $7 million a year in profit, which would be a pretty good-sized business. At that point, you're looking at about 14% margin. And so if that was the case, guess what? They might then they might then trade, let's say, five times or three times, three to five times what that margin is. So now you're talking about 20 to $35 million for a $50 million company. Now let's take this slightly different angle and say, let's say instead of a $50 million company, they were a $30 million company. But it was all monthly recurring revenue. So people subscribed to a service that these people offered. And they were generating $30 million a year in monthly recurring revenue. So meaning it's you know $2.5 million a month every month. And now that firm on that $35 million is making $5 million. But on the $5 million, what they notice is that 98% of their clients renew. And their clients continue to grow each year. They have very little attrition. So what's that company worth? Well, that company that's making $5 million a year can easily trade for 10 times the profit or more like $50 million as opposed to the $50 million company might have gone for 20 to $30 million. Well, it totally changes the dynamic because the monthly recurring revenue gives the investor the, the confidence that, hey, this revenue continues and they have something of value and their customers keep coming back which is why those licensing models are so lucrative for businesses. So we need to make sure that we understand that in your business, you want to take a look and say, hey, is there an area where we can create monthly recurring revenue or annually recurring revenue? Because if we get that renewal rate without having people locked in, it validates just like the crowdfunding validation works. So let me give you a recap of these concepts. And of course, you can read my latest trends article on ianaltman.com as well as on forbes.com. So first, we're going to see the shift in redefining sales, shifting towards the subject matter expert. That's That means those subject matter experts are going to need support teams that can help them stay on top of the tasks they need to, to follow up on. It also means you may want to implement technology to help make that happen. You can use crowdfunding to validate a product or service offering and see if people put their money where their mouth is, you're onto something. And if they don't, maybe not so much. In terms of segmenting your audience, try and come up with these more narrowly defined segments so that way you can deliver messages tailored exactly to your market and making sure that you're focusing on the problems you solve for those people. And finally, make sure that you're thinking about what types of business components can drive to a monthly recurring or annually recurring revenue instead of one-shot deals. That'll give you the best exit opportunity towards the end. 
I want to thank everybody for taking the time to share your reviews and subscribe on iTunes and Stitcher. It really makes a big difference. I really love it when people drop me a note about what they're using and what they like or even don't like about the show. It helps me connect to what's important to you. Because remember, this show gets its direction from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on the program, if there's a topic you want me to cover or a question you want me to answer, just drop me a note personally at ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer.